Wellbeing Brewing Company is the first non-alcoholic craft brewery in the United States solely designated to producing great tasting craft beers in a variety of tastes and styles with no alcohol. Their focus on health is highlighted by fully brewing beers that are naturally low in calories, contain zero sugar, high in polyphenols, hydrate versus dehydrate, vegan, non-GMO, and delicious. But check this out. Wellbeing has teamed up with Four Hands Brewing Company to create a non-alcoholic El Dorado dry hopped IPA called Liquid Rain, all in the name of mental health awareness. Ready to try Wellbeing? Well, go to wellbeing.com and get 10% off of your total online order by using coupon code SMH10. That's SMH10. My name is Jeff Allen. I'm a musician. I'm a videographer. I produce and host several podcasts. I live near St. Louis, Missouri. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Brittany. We have a son named Louie. I struggle with anxiety. I work at a church in St. Louis and get to do awesome artistic projects constantly. I love my friends. From time to time, I get really depressed. My favorite food is pho. What a tasty soup. But did I mention I struggle with anxiety and depression? I do, and I'm also an accidental mental health advocate. I'm not a professional, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a counselor or a therapist, but I am a friend to many, and I'm outspoken about mental health. Very, very outspoken about mental health. I'm here to smash stigmas, and I'm also here to help. You're not alone. This podcast is going to be simple, hence the name Simple Mental Health. We'll speak with professionals as well as those in the trenches, people who struggle with anxiety and depression and other mental health issues, and we'll break it down as simply as possible. Mental health is complicated, but I've learned that for some, including me, living with it doesn't have to be. And a basic understanding doesn't have to be either. This is simple mental health. You know, it's hard to believe that season one is now coming to a close. This little project has been such a roller coaster ride for me personally. At times, I'm not going to lie, it's made my anxiety even worse because imposter syndrome sneaks in and it tries to ruin it. But so many of you have continued to reach out to me and let me know that you found the conversations here on simple mental health helpful to you. And if that's true, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't start working on season two. So keep checking in at simplementalhealth.me. If you want to buy me a coffee, it goes towards keeping the website up and paying for other small expenses like transcription. Same with the profit made on the merch on the website. Also, invite your friends to our mental health Facebook group. I'm proud of the community we're building there. It's fascinating to see just a small idea move into something real and tangible, even if it's only for this season of time, I know my life has been changed for the better because of this project. I hope the same can be said for you. And this week, I'm my own guest. I've shared slivers of my story with you the last four episodes, but as we close, I've decided to share my story. And I'll try to be concise, but there's kind of a lot. It starts with a photo. I shared this photo in the backstory on our Simple Mental Health Facebook group. This picture was posted on Facebook from an old friend and from childhood, she tagged me in it. And when I was first tagged in the picture, I went and I, to look at it and I noticed it was a picture of me from when I was no more than five or six years old. In the picture, I'm standing there with three other kids. Go look forward to the Facebook group. I'll post it again. I'm the kid on the far left, the one standing alone with a look that seems concerned. While it took me by surprise to see that look, really, I came to the conclusion that it made a lot of sense. 
The photo was taken at Grant's farm. And I remember these kinds of trips as a kid. I was always nervous and I'd beg my mom to let me stay home. She was encouraging and would say things like, hey, you always have fun. And every time we got home, she would say, see, didn't you have a good, a good time? I told you. And of course she was right. But what I realize now is that I was already going through what I would continue to go through my entire life. I was overwhelmed with anxiety for absolutely no good reason. I think it's important and fair to share that I don't fault my mom for not recognizing this. In fact, she may have known exactly what was going on, just not with the terms that are available to us today at least not to parents back then. I'm sure she knew she had an anxious kid on her hands, but that would have been around 1990, and I don't know many parents who would have thought to check and see if their kid could be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I mean, if you, just like a quick Google search shows that the term generalized anxiety disorder had only been coined 10 years before my Grant's Farm trip. So who knows? But let's fast forward now. 2010, just after my wife and I were married, I was diagnosed with Generalized Anxiety Disorder, or GAD. Here's a mouthful. The American Psychiatric Association defines GAD as an anxiety disorder characterized by excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry about events or activities. This excessive worry often interferes with the daily functioning, and sufferers are overly concerned about everyday matters such as health issues, money, death, family problems, friendship problems, interpersonal relationship problems, or work difficulties. And symptoms may include excessive worry, restlessness, trouble sleeping, feeling tired, irritability, sweating, and trembling. Is that ringing a bell with anyone? A little more backstory. I used to be a worship leader at a large church in Illinois with thousands of people in attendance each week, which means I would stand on a stage singing and playing guitar, praying out loud, usually with no problem. But one Sunday, I started to feel sick before a church service was to start. And my wife worked at the same church at the time, and I sent her a text, and I said, hey, I'm going home, I'm sick. When I got home, I felt fine. This actually happened after a couple of instances where I took some trips to the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack. I had a heavy chest, and my heart was beating fast for or beating irregularly irregularly, and I had no clue what was happening to me because all of the tests at the ER came back fine. So that Sunday afternoon, my wife sat me down and said, hey, I want you to think about whether or not you might have an anxiety disorder. I was embarrassed at first. I kind of couldn't believe it. It was such a taboo subject, or at least it was 10 years or 11 years ago when it seemed like no one was talking about it, or at least it was in the church world, nobody was talking about it. But I agreed to ask my general practitioner about it, and she agreed that what I was dealing with sounded like GAD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder. I was prescribed medication, and I have been, for the most part, successfully managing it ever since. To borrow an axiom from Pastor Andy Stanley, and I say this awesome, oh, I say this often, uh, he sorts this out with leadership issues that arise. I'll say it about anxiety. Anxiety is not a problem to be solved, but a tension to be managed. Anxiety is tricky, and anxiety is tricky for me because sometimes I can't tell what part of my feelings are anxiety and what part are normal. I can't tell if I'm being immature or if my anxiety is causing it. Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck in adolescence or high school 
the isolation that the weird kid goes through. I'm the weird kid and I'm paranoid about it. I look back on the movie stand by me and the exchange between Will Wheaton and river Phoenix's characters. Will Wheaton says, you think I'm weird? And river Phoenix says, yeah, but so what? Everybody's weird. Anyway, I can sit and stare at the wall wondering what my next move should be. I could be a professional killer of time. One night last week, I found myself with nothing to do. My wife and son were away for the first time in three months, and I had the house to myself. I wasted the entire time trying to figure out what to do. What I actually did was sit there and worry that I would make the wrong choice until I had run out of the option of doing anything. That's just one thing anxiety can do to me. My chest can feel empty. Imagine exhaling all the air out of your lungs, all that you can muster. Then exhale a little more. That's the feeling I get in my chest, even while I'm breathing. It's not a pretty sight. It's not a lot of fun to go through. Anxiety and paranoia go hand in hand for me. FOMO, or the fear of missing out, it's a real thing, even for this introvert. Just the idea that I wasn't thought of is hurtful. But it's really only when I'm in my anxiety moments that I feel that way. Anxiety is cold-hearted. It doesn't care if you don't want it around. But I've found ways to cope, ways to loosen the grip, breathing techniques, positive quotes from smarter people than me, and distraction. And medicine. It's okay to be on medicine for anxiety or depression or for bipolar disorder or for whatever. Why wouldn't it be okay? But when you share that, you can get a lot of mean people saying a lot of mean things. And of course, your anxiety can can convince can convince you that a lot of nice people are thinking a lot of nice things, but that's really sympathy and feeling sorry to the point where they don't quite see you as normal. We're obviously living in a time where anxiety is through the roof. You don't need to have a disorder to struggle with anxiety and depression, especially when you're living in a pandemic like we've been doing. Even if we weren't in a pandemic, it's no wonder that so many adults in our country are struggling In 2018, Barnes & Noble reported a 25% jump on previous year of sales on books about anxiety. I can't imagine what 2020 held. I mean, we live in a country where it's almost a competition to see who is the busiest, who is the most exhausted. It's no wonder that if you wanted to keep score, you could about who has the most anxiety. Even if our culture doesn't change or isn't made better, there are two things that bring me hope. One, you and I are not alone. And two, we can manage. Anxiety isn't a problem to be solved, but it's a tension to be managed. The first thing I did when I realized that I may have an anxiety disorder was talk to my doctor, and I told her what was going on, and she knew the right questions to ask and to help me diagnose me. Uh, I also found a counselor. Sometimes it takes trying a few different people out, but talking to someone who got it was helpful. My counselor could help me come up with some exercises or talk through what triggers were. So it's been over a year now that the official shelter-in-place mandate went out. And when that happened, I knew it immediately. This pandemic was a big deal. The first thing I thought about was my anxiety and how would I manage. Anxiety isn't a problem to be solved, it's a tension to be managed. 
we're still in it, friends. The pandemic isn't over. We're getting closer. Some of us are getting vaccinated, and I'm obviously not saying this to cause you more anxiety or to preach if you uh, don't buy into it, but we're still in the midst of a pandemic. I'm saying this especially to the people who are joining us that don't struggle with an anxiety disorder on a regular basis. The anxiety you feel now that you picked up because of the pandemic, it may continue. The anxiety you haven't even felt yet may show up. And I hope you'll prepare yourselves to manage it. Here are some things I decided to try at the beginning of the pandemic. Some have changed, of course, but these are the basics. One of my anxiety triggers is disruption in my routine. So back when we were all working exclusively from home, I decided that I would tackle the problem head on. And here were my notes from that. Number one, wake up early. I figured that not having to be anywhere at a certain time might make me want to roll out of bed right on time for whatever video conferencing meeting I had. But getting up early gave me the time for the next challenge. Two, have some coffee and make a list. I really wasn't a list guy, but I attempted it. Seeing that I had on my plate for the next day was helpful. Usually I keep it all in my head and it makes me jump from one project to the next. Minimalizing mental clutter is a good thing, trust me. And three, take a shower, put on real clothes, not just my gym shorts and t-shirt. And last four, start work on time. Keep my routine. It helped me know that I had control over my day. Now, these things may look different for your life, but I believe that if you find a routine and stick with it, it'll help calm those anxious feelings. Curveballs will come. They may trigger your anxiety. But the good news is you have control over you. You can manage this. You're not alone. I think the number one thing that has helped me as I've gone along is my transparency. I decided pretty early on that I wouldn't hide the fact that I deal with anxiety and even depression from time to time. At the time I was diagnosed, there was this Christian blogger named Carlos Whitaker. Now he's got a podcast. And one day, Carlos posted a picture of his prescription bottle of Paxil. I read his blog post about it. He talked about he had an experience similar to mine. He was leading worship at this church, and he began to spin out of control, as he put it. And the next thing he knows, he's waking up, the cry of, is there a doctor in the house? He had a full-blown anxiety attack. He wrote this, now through God's power, prayer, and Paxil, he presses on. In the blog post, he got ahead of the obvious comments that would come from a very conservative Christian crowd in 2011. He said, Paxil, Carlos, pray harder, trust God more, pray that demon out. You don't need a drug, you need Jesus. He said he'd heard it all. But Carlos gave me the courage to be honest and transparent about my struggles with anxiety when I posted about it for the very first time, sure enough, the private messages came rolling in from church folk. One specific note came in from a guy that I always looked up to, this sort of this cool, possibly progressive, creative type that went to the church I worked at in Illinois. I've kept this note for years just as a reminder that stigmas are important to break. I'm going to read this note to you. Here it goes. <clears throat> it says, Dude, as someone who suffers from social anxiety, episodes of severe depression, and suicidal tendencies during those episodes, Paxil is not the answer. Xanax is not the answer. They are stopgaps for desperate situations. Jesus Christ is the answer. Running to the cross is the answer. The dirty secret isn't that people in the church take these drugs. The dirty secret is that our churches don't teach us to go to the cross each and every day for anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression are spiritual at the root. 
I get that for some people it is chemical, but these drugs are overprescribed because they are an easy fix. And that's a shame because they rob us of seeking and working for the root of the cause, of driving us to see what sin have we let fester, of fighting the hard fight of faith, of depending upon and groping for God with our whole heart and soul. They make us spiritual sloths. I had posted about Carlos Whitaker. He says, Carlos Whitaker drives me nuts because he says these things like I depend upon Paxil. What about Jesus? He drives Christians away from real spiritual work. He drives them away from Jesus and encourages spiritual laziness. God has mounted promise after promise in his Bible to take the legs out from under our social anxieties. If he didn't intend his word, Jesus in his spirit, to be our remedy, then he wouldn't have made it abundantly clear in his word that we are to come to him who are weary and heavy laden, the anxious, the downcast, the forgotten. Trust me, the gospel is more powerful than any drug. It is the power of God unto salvation. Don't get me wrong. I don't think people should be ashamed to be on them for a short term. My wife was on them, but for a stopgap, to help her recover from the ill effects of some allergy drugs. They are not long-term cure. Listen, I like you a lot. I think you are way cool, but you concern me when you share stuff like this. You concern me that your heart is not right and that you are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit and you are looking for answers to your problems that don't involve total surrender, that involve approval of man and not God. I say that because I know it in my own life. When I veer off the path, when I allow my heart to love the things of this world more than the things of God, my emotion and spiritual life tank. Just early this year, I went through easily one of the darkest periods of my life, and it was all my fault. My fault because I had backslidden. I had neglected to roll up my sleeves and do the hard work of pursuing God, of praying, reading my Bible, fellowshipping. It was a run-up of six months like that before I finally crashed, and I crashed hard. I wanted to die, not to kill myself, but the Lord, to please take me. I could not pull myself out of bed. I could not get through the afternoon without having a beer. I could not talk to a client without having two beers. And just through a series of friends and my wife sharing the gospel and getting in my face about my condition, I slowly began to emerge out of that state. I know I don't know you super well, but I feel like I know you well enough to share this with you. I may have this blown out of proportion. If I do, I apologize. I'm a shoot first, take names later kind of guy. But I only say this because I care about you. Because you are a brother in Christ, a talented musician who has a lot to offer God and a lot at stake. Your life, your career, your marriage, more importantly, your relationship with God. Please prayerfully consider what I've said. And I'll just share my reply. I said, I have a feeling you and I will never agree on this. You know, just as high blood pressure medication is to be taken daily to control high blood pressure, so is Lexapro to control social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. It's a medical condition. And before you make assumptions about me, you should think about what I have possibly been through before I made the decision to seek professional medical care. If you knew about the time I spent face down crying out to God that he would remove these gut-wrenching pains caused by this disorder then maybe you could understand why I chose to seek professional medical care. Literally, it was stopping me from being able to, co to accomplish the work of the kingdom. And God did not see fit to remove this. Instead, I was able to take a medication to help me cope. 
If I had high blood pressure, I would have taken high blood pressure medication. If I had cancer, I'd go through chemotherapy. I have social anxiety disorder. I have generalized anxiety disorder, so I take Lexapro. I appreciate where this is coming from. I appreciate the attempt of accountability, but know the whole story before you write letters like this. Just as I said in the beginning, I really think we will never agree on this, and at the end of the day, your concern for where my heart is may only be important to you, because I do know where my heart is, and I know where I cast my burdens. Man, I was a lot churchier back then. The sad thing is, is that the man that was going through the same stuff I was, he said it himself. But someone had sold him a bunch of lies. And I don't know why people do this. What good comes out of it, ever? There's this old story, and I've heard it many times and many versions of it, but I'm going to share this one with you today. A guy was stuck on his rooftop in a flood. He was praying to God for help. Soon a man in a rowboat came by, and the fellow shouted, Hey, uh, jump in, I can save you. The stranded fellow shouted back, Nope, it's okay, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. So the rowboat went on. And then a motorboat came by. The guy in the motorboat shouted, jump in, I can save you. The stranded man on the roof says, no thanks, I'm praying to God, he's going to save me, I have faith. So the motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came by and the pilot shouted, grab this rope and I'll pull you up to safety. To this, the stranded man again replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me, I have faith. So the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose above the rooftop, the man drowned, he died went to heaven, finally got his chance to discuss this whole situation with God, at which point he exclaimed, I had faith in you. You didn't save me. You let me drown. I, I don't understand why. This God replied, I sent you a rowboat and a motorboat and a helicopter. What more did you expect? Friends, when you free yourself from the shame and the guilt that our world and oftentimes the church has put on you, you will find that you're not alone. More people are feeling the way you feel than you know. Anxiety isn't a problem to be solved, not alone by prayer or trust in Jesus, but it's a tension to be managed, coupled with professional and sometimes medical help in prayer and trust in Jesus, if that's your thing. I've tried to say from the beginning that this isn't a Christian podcast. It really isn't. I just happen to be a Christian, so a lot of my worldview is shaped by that. Churches are obviously failing in the mental health game and a lot of other ways, but that's not for this podcast. All right, so I've learned that it takes a special person to love someone who has generalized anxiety disorder well with no outside help. And if you're listening but you don't struggle with anxiety, you probably know someone who does. It takes practice and patience to love that person well. And while those of us with anxiety need to own it and help ourselves, we also need people in our lives who know how to help us, people who are on our side. This podcast, for the most part, is for those of us who have anxiety whether it be a disorder or temporary, but I wanted to take a little time to play what some of our listeners had to say about this topic of loving someone with anxiety. I wish people understood that when I'm having a bout of anxiety or depression, it may not look like that on the outside to them. I'm still getting my job done. I'm still able to meet the needs of my family. But when that is happening, I am going through severe mental and physical exhaustion. And it's all I can do to get those things done. I wish my family members knew that I can't control it 
it's out of my control when I have anxiety attacks. It's not like I look for something to worry about or stress about. It's just something that's like ingrained in me that I struggle with every single day. And when I'm having those episodes, I just want someone honestly to like hug me or just be there for me while I'm having my episodes and to assure me that everything's going to be okay. Hey, Jeff, it's Brandon Juan. If I was to say something I wish people would understand about it, it would be that I know it doesn't make sense and I know that I shouldn't be freaked out, but I am and uh, saying that's not going to help. I think it's just important for everyone to remember that anxiety is a process and if someone's experiencing it maybe for the first time or hasn't experienced it for a while and it just pops back up, it takes time to figure out those triggers and really to even identify it at some time. Sometimes your body is just telling you to slow down and you don't know why. And it doesn't have to be a big life event or this big trauma. It can just be the little things that sometimes add up. So just remembering that and uh, realizing that it takes time to work through those things and really uh, find answers. I hope those messages gave you some insight. It's difficult for us. It's difficult for you. Just think on that. The main point I've tried to drive home in this episode is this. I've said it over and over again. Anxiety is not a problem to be solved, but a tension to be managed. For a lot of us, this is something we will live with for the rest of our lives. I know that can be a daunting thought, but some bloggers and authors have even said that their anxiety is their superpower. It helps them to be creative. It helps them empathize with others. It helps them make sense of the needs of their loved ones. For me, well, I've learned to manage. Some days are better than others. Some months are better than others. I thought of that picture of me as a little kid and I saw a recent picture of myself tagged on social media. It was just a snapshot at a party, probably the last one I attended. It was New Year's Eve 2020. It was a roaring 20s party. There I was, the center of attention, completely enjoying myself, holding court with friends and new friends. I was excited to go and happy to be there. And I point this out because there is hope. The picture wasn't an indication that my anxiety problem has been solved, but it identifies the fact that it can be managed. It gives me hope for me. It gives me hope for you. As I close this podcast episode, I'd like to tell you about one more thing I've been doing. My friend Dallas, who's been one of my biggest cheerleaders behind the scenes here on this podcast, and you'll meet her in season two. Well, she told me about her practice of lighting a candle when she prays. I have one candle that I light every day and pray. It helps me to keep prayer as a regular habit. And just seeing that candle on my desk reminds me. I know some of you listening are not religious or maybe consider yourself spiritual and not religious, but even so, prayer helps us move our priorities to the front of our minds. If you're not comfortable with prayer, call this meditation. I'd suggest taking some time for yourself. Light a candle, pray, meditate. This podcast has been a wild ride. I've seen sides of me that I didn't know were there. I didn't know that I felt imposter syndrome but I definitely did know that I wasn't going to keep it to myself any longer. Sure, I had posted on social media about it, but for me, helping people has always been the goal of this podcast. I don't know what it means for the future. I think a season two is coming, like I said, 
It's been rough trying to navigate life and work and this podcast. Thanks for your patience as you wait for season two. And one last thing, I've really put myself out there with this podcast. My anxiety has hit me like a ton of bricks. I've been paranoid that people see me and they think uh, that they need to take pity or because I struggle. I'm paranoid that people see me, that this is uh, all I talk about now. I'm paranoid that people see me as weird. But you know what? To hell with it. Everybody's weird. Thanks for listening to Simple Mental Health. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast so that it can continue to be brought to you for free, please consider stopping by simplementalhealth.me and grabbing a shirt, hat, or mug, or buying me a coffee. Uh, Buying me a coffee actually is donating a few bucks to help us cover expenses here. We have plenty of coffee, don't worry. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And don't forget to tell your friends. This is Simple Mental Health.